there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions, which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so another JREP session for you today. And this time we discuss, or more accurately, uh, pick Emil's encyclopedia-like brain about Japanese mortgage interest rates, why you should shop around for mortgages before signing anything, how much you can potentially borrow, what happens if you get a home loan and then move out of Japan, and also when and how to register your new address when purchasing. So interesting little loophole there. We then segue from that chat about Japanese bureaucratic procedures to another similar conversation about registering a car in Japan for non-residents who purchase properties here. And as a side note, while this episode was recorded a while back and I mention in it that we're looking into the possibility, I can now happily testify that we've actually done it on behalf of a non-resident or two. So it is definitely possible to register a car in Japan as long as you own a property, even if you're not a resident, although it's definitely not a simple procedure. So don't be shy to reach out if this is you. We also talk a bit about hankos or inkans, Japanese identification stamps or seals, how they work or don't work here. So really interesting, nuanced conversation with plenty of examples there about Japanese strictness, which interestingly enough goes hand in hand with an equal amount of vagueness on official procedures, uh, foreigner loopholes, and so forth. And finally, a bit more of a casual chat about Emil's upcoming Tokyo Dads podcast, all about fatherhood and families in Japan, and even about Japan's minister in charge of gender equality and his, yes, his embarrassing appearance at a recent uh, G7 international summit on the topic. So really fun, information-packed conversation for you there. Enjoy the banter, and I'll see you again on the other side. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everyone. Welcome to the JREP, Japan Real Estate Expert Panel podcast. I'm doing an introduction. Um, my name is Emil. I'm a real estate agent here in Tokyo, helping people buy their personal homes in Japan. Blanka, over to you. Hello, I'm Blanka Kobayashi. I'm from Arc Reform, uh, Tokyo. We have offices in Tokyo in, and in Matsudo, and we take care of renovating your beautiful properties in that you have basically in Kanto area. So we can go pretty far if you have that nice project and you want to work with us. We are bilingual, so you don't have to worry that you will have to stress with your Japanese too much dealing dealing with all the contractors. We'll do that on your behalf. And Zif? I'm Zif Nakajima again, co-founder and partner at MTI. And for the last uh, 12 years, we've been helping um, foreigners, resident or non-resident, purchase um, and manage and sell whatever they want. Anywhere in Japan, um, family homes, we leave to uh, the good people at Emil's company. Um, if it's in Tokyo, but anything else, we're happy to. Uh, but we are not doing any sales. I've been prohibited <clears throat> from... Uh, bringing on new customers until the end of August, which is probably going to be um, before this is uh, published anyway. But uh, apologies if you have called us and we said that we have to take a hiatus. We just um, end of financial year and we lost our bookkeeper. Two other staffs are in the office due to COVID and it's just a bloody nightmare. Speaking of purchasing properties, uh, Japan interest rates. I've recently been doing some some uh deals with clients some home loans so a lot of my work is 
getting the home loans sorted out for for my you know, long-term Japanese residents. And the, the rates are down a little bit. The variable rates are down mm-hmm. 0.39, 0.59% um, instead of 0.65, what they were um, a few months ago. a little bit about a year ago. Was that to the same extent? Oh, uh, no. So that was more like the 10-year... The and longer 35 year fixed rates have gone up but the variables they they're going down because the, the short-term variable like all the, the variable rate hasn't really changed at all and that's dirt cheap if, oh yeah it's free money it's nothing it's like you know and even then when you say they went down 0.1 percent compared to what they were you know a year two three ago but they're still you know ridiculously low um it's almost nothing uh, I've mentioned other times on this podcast, at that kind of rate, over a 35-year loan, you're paying about 15% total back to the bank as interest costs. So if you borrow 100 million yen, you're paying 115 million back to the bank. They're only making 15 million yen over the life of the loan, which is absolute peanuts. Of course. Uh, when, you're, yeah, when you're used to like you know interest rates, what we see in Australia and the West right now, it's about 7%. Yeah. Um, when it was around 4%, I think that's when it gets to double. If you borrow a million dollars from the bank, you have to repay 2 million. You basically pay double one, like, you know, uh, in interest. Yeah. Now at 7%, it's even more. It's about, you know, what, 1.2 to 1.4% uh, times extra to the bank. Yeah. Europe is crazy as well. Europe is like uh, 6 to, I think, 6 to 9 or something like that. Yeah, it's it's going up quite a bit. Um, one of the loans we just got for a client who bought a, a brand new mansion. Um, I was just doing the numbers now. We got the approval uh, call on Monday, including closing costs. The first bank approved just the property price, which was one hundred and fifty-five million. Hmm. Um, this then we got another bank that we applied to include closing costs, um, and that's. They're including another, uh, what's it come to? About 6 million yen uh, in in closing costs. So they're approving uh, 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 just a little bit over 6 million yen. So the property is 155 and the loan is being approved for 162 million. Mm-hmm. So all the closing costs, um, the agency fee, the taxes, the insurance, the registration fee, all of that stuff is, is being included. So he's basically coming out like nothing out of pocket for a hundred and fifty-five million yen property, and the mortgage repayment on one hundred and sixty-two million yen, on what he's getting over thirty-five years, is four hundred and thirty thousand yen a month. That's amazing. Yeah, mm. um, yeah, fully amazing. paid. Yeah, it's a. So uh, how much? I'm sorry to ask so, this now, but for this four hundred nantoka. A four hundred thousand loan. How much he had to show in income? Oh, this one. His income is a bit more complex. He's a higher income earner. Mm-hmm. Generally, and I think it actually borrow more. But generally, you need um, about. You can borrow about seven to eight times your annual income. So if okay. I oh, 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 mm-hmm. by eight, um, yeah. So if you earn about twenty to 20 to 25 million yen a year. A year? You can, yeah. If you earn 25 million a year, which is nothing. No, 25. You said like oh, 25. Not, oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 25. Yeah, so, that's 2 million a year. That's 2 million a month still. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so usually there's, the simple rule is you can borrow about seven to eight times your annual income. So okay. if you earn, you know, um, 7 million yen a year, so nana hyakuman. Yeah. So you can get 49 million. Uh, about million. 50, yeah, about 50 million yen you can borrow. So, which is about 65,000 US a year for our um, non Japanese residents. Yeah. Just based on current, um, yeah. you know, current exchange rates, I think, which are historically low or historically high for the US dollar. Mm. Um, but yeah, in general, you can borrow about seven to eight times your gross annual income if you're a salaried employee. Once you start earning around the you know, 20 million yen and more a year, the banks are a bit more fav- favorable towards you. Yeah. And they do want to do, um, you know, they do want to do the deal. They like those high net income earners. Of course. And But but also 
what you find is when people are sort of in that price range, they don't always just borrow their maximum amounts. They have, you know, when, when you're, you know, a higher net worth individual, you also have um, uh, other sources of income, other investments, other cash assets. Uh, your income is not paid as a basic salary. Often you're also getting bonuses. Yeah. You're not just a standard operational, you know, salaried employee, et cetera. So it's not, it works a little bit different when you get into those ranges. But for the most part, for anyone who's just a typical salaried employee, seven to eight times your gross annual income is an easy way to um and Emil, did you have to deal or did you came across a situation that okay you sold um a property and got a mortgage for a client that was again you know high income earner here in japan uh he bought a property lived in the property for a few years and then was relocated yes and stopped earning in japan mm -hmm. Did you did you encounter that and how did the bankers? I had it with one client, and uh, we did a we were talking about renovation for this client, and he ended <clears> up ending <throat> uh, he ended up selling the property because the bank was basically pressuring him uh, to pay up or sell the property because he was no longer employed in Japan and didn't have any income in Japan. So it's not about having income in Japan. Once you buy the property, so one that's a very good and relevant question. Um, usually, what well, once you get the loan, it's don't notify the bank. You don't like. There's no need to notify the bank of changes. Not there's uh -huh. no need. Like if you start notifying, say, "Hey, I'm leaving the country. I'm moving out. I'm no longer going to live in this address." Even if you're not leaving the country, let's say you're moving to Osaka, you're moving out to Matsudo further away, yeah. wherever it may be. If it's no longer your primary residence, then the bank gave you a home loan. They want you to keep it as a home loan, mm. as your primary residence. Mm. That's the issue. So I if think you that's where he made the mistake. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you don't notify them, then they don't know any different. Mm. Um, and also, if you... Uh, and then there are circumstances, let's say your company transfers you, and this is the same for Japanese nationals, not just foreigners. Let's say your company wants to transfer you overseas for three years. Yeah. And then come back. Then, you know, you, if you do want to notify the bank, then you can sort of discuss with the bank. This is my situation. I am going to come back, but I'm gone for a few years. So it depends on how you, you know, one, whether you mention it to the bank or not, <clears throat> and two, how you mention it if you decide to. Right, but if it's oh, I'm just going to turn it into an investment property and leave. They're like, well, hold on, no, we gave you a home loan. Um, so it's more of an, on a case by case basis and how much you wish to disclose to the bank. I just had the same conversation with someone, uh, one of our customers yesterday. He's an airline pilot and he's living in Japan and working for ANA, and now he's um, potentially relocating to another company, so he'll be moving out of and flying out of Japan and he's got an apartment that he bought with a mortgage just wondering how that would work if he wants to rent it out when it's not when he's not here yeah. so that could <clears throat> always be treated as a temporary relocation but the question is at the bottom line it's the bank that decides doesn't it so it's up to case officer kind of discretion yeah, yeah. oh yeah definitely um if you call the bank and say hey bank i'm leaving the country and your policy says I shouldn't do it. So what, like, you know, so what should I do? They say, oh, well, thank you for notifying us. Now we have a whole bunch of administrative stuff to do. You know, mm -hmm. if you had to shut up, we would have uh, not known about this, but now you brought it to our attention. Thank you. Let's, uh, you know, all sort of grind our teeth and suffer through this. Banks in Japan <laughs> are a bit strange, aren't they? Well, you, you do it. No, that a lot of times in Japanese, Japan, I find. <laughs> no, no, no. But here's the thing: this, there are often, yeah, and you see this at the ward office all the time. There's the process and the policy, the formal one that's written and documented, and then in practice, there's always the, oh, there's often like a, a tacit understanding that well, oh, even in the immigration department, process, actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a tacit thing. Oh, they, they, this is this. It's not written. We wouldn't document it, but 
commonly this is how it flows. Like a great example of this is when you want to register the a property, when you buy a property and you want to register the title, they ask, the, the banks asks us, the Scrivener asks us always, is do you want to use your current address or the new address of the property you're going to buy, you're going to move into? And we say, well, so what happens when you register the title? If let's say I, I live in Setagaya now, I buy a new house in Shibuya. When I buy it, let's say the settlement is on August 31st. I have to present my resident, the residency certificate and income certificate, income sure, make sure, to the scrivener and they go and prepare the title change and they'll prepare that in advance. So on settlement day, they can go register the title and says Emil Gurgis of this address owns this new property in Shibuya. However, my current address is Setagaya. So when I get my residency certificate issued, it's from Setagaya Ward. So if they register it and it's my new house is going to be in Shibuya, on the title it says this house in Shibuya is owned by Emil of Setagaya. But then I move one day after that. And like, well, then I have to, you know. A lot of people don't, but technically you need to update the title to show your new address. So what they say is, go to Shibuya no, no, you Ward don't have to. You can do that. You can do that upon sale. Yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not really necessary at all, but it's an extra process. What you can do, though, is you go to the Ward, Shibuya Ward office and say, I moved last week mm -hmm. to this house that hasn't actually been finished building yet. I don't own it yet. Yeah. And it's not really mine yet. But I actually moved last week, so give me the new Jumi here residency certificate and 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 Hanko mm. certificate for the new address. And so when they register it, they register you your on the title it shows you of your new address. Yeah, you haven't actually moved. And if you look at any of the wards, they say you cannot initiate this unless you've already moved. Right? You can't you can't, you can't say you've moved before you've actually moved. Right. But most of like a lot of my clients, if they buy a used property, they move the address before we actually finish the renovations and they move. Precisely. That is well, in this case, you're moving the address before you even buy it. You see. Right. Before it's even purchased. But so formally, according to the ward office documentation, you're not meant to do that. Mm, but for buying, that's risky. But no one, oh no, not, not retail, like no one actually, uh, like they, that's a tacit approval. It's a process that everyone knows. Even the bank asks us, the scrivener asks us, they say, you can do this. Just say a date before the actual settlement that you moved in order to issue the certificate. Technically, okay. you're not meant to do that. But hmm. even though, you know, it's one of those that uh, they turn a blind eye to it. It's tacitly approved. Don't don't mention that to the people at City Hall. Don't yeah. blatantly tell them I haven't bought it yet. They'll say, "When are you actually moving?" Ah, oh, next week. But I need the paperwork now. Just zip it. Don't mention it, <laughs> and get the mm -hmm. you know get it from the previous date, and it's completely fine. So, and that's the process. And all the banks and the scriveners will ask us that um, process. So I think in Japan, there's quite often these tacit, you know. You just don't mention it and no one says anything or you know we're not going to write you give you a formal letter that says it's okay yeah but it's yeah it, it's agreed and nobody specifically cannot. will give you anything in written form yeah so we did similar, um, yeah. research for a customer a while ago um who is not a resident but wants to buy and drive a car in japan mm, that, was a, everything, that was everything sorry go ahead that was an issue they were talking about some time ago, yeah, with the parking. With the who was talking about it? I I encountered this issue. It was discussed on one of the foreign groups on Facebook. Yeah. Because exactly. because basically it's kind of like a loop. You have to have a car. No, you have to have a par registered parking to be able to uh, purchase a car and register the car in your name right in japan 
Yes, but that's a person who owns a property, so the parking wasn't an issue. So when you start looking around, like all of these articles in English keep telling you that it's impossible to do if you don't have, because you need your junichio and your inkanchoma and all of the things that oh. you can't get unless you're a resident. Um, in reality, so we kept searching Japanese websites just to confirm mm -hmm. that, and there's nothing anywhere that says that. Nope. So we pick up the phone, we call the, um, we call the transport office, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's possible. You can do that with an older Republic certificate. You can do that with this. You can do that with it. But it's not going to be written anywhere. <laughs> like it's it's well known. And they said, well, if you want to 100% confirm, you can call that local ward office and ask them. Did the same thing, got the same answer. But it's not written anywhere. Is okay. So what, they don't what, did the, what did the person end up registering or buying the car and registering it with? His house. He hasn't done. He hasn't done it yet. But according to what they've told us on the phone, and again, they wouldn't <clears> provide <throat> it in writing. Same story exactly. Is um, whatever qualifies as an as a as a alternative to a jumihio and inkanchome, which overseas is a notary public statutory declaration and the certificate of certificate of signature. Mm -hmm. If it's translated with a, a certified translation, that's completely acceptable here. You see. Yeah. So, yeah. it's but it's not written anywhere. And so everyone who's writing articles and forum posts and Reddit posts about it in English is saying, no, can't be done, can't be done, can't so be done. I've had uh, an American expat friend of mine, um, you know, uh, company sort of director level, and he wanted to buy a car and register it. And they said, you know, oh, well, you need a hunko. And he's like, well, I don't want to register my hunko. I don't want to. Yeah. I'm only here for a few years. I don't want to go. I don't want to do the hunko thing. And we know it's no big deal. But, you know, he was new here and didn't want to sort of complicate things. He's yeah. like, so what, what's the process around it? And they said, well, you can just get it notarized, go to the American embassy and get your documentation notarized and you can do that. So he felt more comfortable doing that approach. So yeah, yeah. I've always known that that's been an, been an option. And it, it's kind of the two times you, that in my experience that you need a, a registered hunko certificate mm. is when you uh, transfer a title for either a house or a car yeah and mm. and actually the third time i needed it was when i was registering some properties for airbnb getting them licensed i needed mm. some certification for that but in general most people will only need it to transfer a title of ownership and that is a um a car title or a property title or to uh, and, bank account. <clears throat> uh, you don't need the registration you don't need for it that. for a bank account i had Not a really. bank, i had a okay. bank account for years without actually without actually having a hanko because i refused to have it because i was like oh man doxa, i just yeah. didn't want it to deal with the whole thing and and i was like i was gonna i knew i was leaving the next year yeah. or so i thought so <laughs> <laughs> so i didn't have registered hanko and but i did have a bank account I had even Citibank at the time didn't need a bank account. We had signature and SMBC used to be the same. I don't know how now, but I had a bank account in SMBC and in Mitsui Sumitomo without having Hanko. Yeah, there's okay. there's a, a few things people confuse. One is, and yet since always, if you're a foreigner, you can get away with signing at the bank where it says Hanko, you can sign back from 20 years ago and even now. Um. For Japanese, they want a hanko, but very different is a registered certificate, your yeah. registered hanko. So you can go to Don Quixote or a Incan shop, and yeah, they, they got the machines there, and register, like get one made up, you know, that says Gorgis or, or you know, Nakajima, yeah. again, whatever you like. And you can use that for stamping lots of documents. But yeah. there's, but whether you actually go to the ward office and register that hanko, that and get the certificate for that registration. That certificate from the ward office only needs to be done for uh, is required very rarely for title transfers. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and in if you do have, I a, think, a, don't you need yeah. income somewhere even when you are registering a company? <clears throat> uh, actually, yes, I believe so. Yes, that kind of stuff. So, red, like real title registration when you're incorporating mm. or making title, that's when you need it for identity proof. But you know, opening a bank account, you don't need it yeah um and so having that stamp is different um and i know lots of actual uh parents lots of uh, mums in particular they get hunkos with their name and it's got like a little smiley face or an asterisk or whatnot on it a star so when they stamp like any of the school documents 
It's like I've signed it, but it's not an official hunk yeah. or can't be used yep. for generally. Mm. Yeah. yeah schools they usually even tell you we do not want your official hanko yeah they literally like they want the hakuyan shop <clears throat> you know small thing they don't even want to see your actual hanko because they you know don't know can be uh Privacy, or yeah. you know, misused so yeah. they don't even well, are you, say, are you saying that a hanko is not a secure way to do transactions Blanc? oh darling it's 100 <laughs> secure it's it cannot and go any other way <laughs> We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home-away-from-home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. And now they've actually got at the banks, it's called. So they're, they're trying to do away with the, you know, the new digital ministry is working hardly to, to remove hardly. these extra requirements. And, but one of them now, some banks are doing income lists. Without income, mm. income lists cause up. Yeah, no income um, bank accounts, income lists, because <laughs> is what they call it. Yeah. Uh, so, some of like SNBC does that now. So, you don't actually, there's no income registered at all. Yeah. Mm. No signature, no income. Banking um, in Japan is, uh, I think that's a, that's a, uh, subject for yeah. a whole different whole different uh podcast because yeah. but it is interesting well, why is it like if i compare it for example to other places where i've lived so let's take australia for example um there's a very clear procedure and checklist for every and you either can or cannot do it and that's it there's no case offers officer discretion <clears throat> whatsoever there's nothing that's going to be told you or, or almost nothing that's going to be told to you over the phone or over the counter that's not written and read to you off an official document. But here, things seem to be left vague on purpose on many occasions. I wonder where that mentality comes from, from the Japanese who are generally so chanto proper about everything. Well, well Japanese, in my experience, like um, they often don't say what you can or cannot do. Like It's not what you cannot do. It's, at each period, this is what is allowed. They don't say what's really disallowed, just what's allowed. A good example is um, when you do zoning, you know, in real estate um, analogies, when you do the zoning, property zoning, for a restricted residential area, you can have only residences. Mm -hmm. For a unrestricted residential area, you can have these kinds of, you can have residential, you can have hotels and motels, um, and that's it. And then for commercial areas you can have residential and um and hotels and commercial like shops and convenience stores right and then for industrial districts it sort of it adds to the level of unrestrictiveness 
Yeah. So it, for each section, like, these are also what's permitted. So they don't have a list of what's not permitted. These are what are permitted. Um, so like this is, yeah, they, they remove the restrictions. Mm. So it it doesn't really go into detail. And so sometimes like, can I have a, um, a this specific kind of business in this area? And it's like, it doesn't is say it the you one? can't. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> say you can't. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't say you cannot do it. Yeah. Right? So no, what's what's the reasoning behind it? Is it on purpose to make these well, things? No, that's kind of their approach. It I, doesn't like maybe they don't have to be overly policed. Yeah, at the, at at some point, I think, but that's also why they are able to misuse a lot of things. Is the little loopholes, and mm. I don't think they realized how good foreigners are in actually <laughs> finding, finding the loopholes. If you think about if like I think the best example of of the loophole. It's not related to real estate, but to foreigners run businesses is the Mario Karts in Tokyo. When they found out that you can actually, you don't, you you have to have a driver's license, but because it's a, it's a cart, you don't need a helmet. You don't need anything. You can be driving on the streets of Tokyo and, and you don't even have a helmet. You don't have anything. And why? When you have to do all these things when you are even on a motorbike, because that is a loophole in the law. And yeah. now, you know, for five years, they are talking about changing it, but you know, Japan and changing anything is not going to happen for another years. So those are the little, little loopholes that are there. And uh, a lot of like a lot of foreigners are just good in finding them. Same thing when you have like the renovation law that basically as long as in some areas, it is as long as you leave one beam of the old house is not yeah. a rebuild, is a renovation. I was going to point that out. That's you know example that one that. is yeah. that one's crazy. And then the then the second the next year the renovation is that beam, right? Yeah, you it's know. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's it's, like, a, <clears throat> it's the small small things that I don't think that they they ever assume people will be that creative. Well, you know what? I I kind <laughs> of give them a little bit more credit. Like, there's two points to that. Yeah, that I've got I a feel. feeling one, there's something more intentional there I, too. I, they they like to make rules for the sake of there was an issue we've created a rule to resolve it and then it's hands off similar to the anti discrimination like we don't like Japan says we don't need to make human rights and anti discrimination rules because there is a mechanism for if people feel discriminated they can go through the courts and file a, a dispute so there is a mechanism available it's not a very practical mechanism but if you feel that you've been you know racially discriminated you can there is a court process available to you right um but so they don't blatantly make rules that you cannot you know that you can't discriminate based on race um mm. another uh one, one example i find and and then to the point sorry blanca of foreigners find the loophole i think it's because we come across it because we're foreign my my favorite example actually in terms of loophole that is really only for foreigners is you know in general when and they just did this in the supreme court as well recently a woman is not able to keep her maiden name when she gets married she must enter the family register of the of her husband right and so like not not, anymore. 90 percent. oh no no 90 percent of the time the woman goes into the the husband's um uh, family register called Teki Tohon and thus acquires his family name because the family register cannot have two different family names. 10% of cases roughly, or I think it's a bit less, the man actually goes into the woman's family register and acquires her family name. But more commonly because it's the woman that does it, um, the woman has to give up her family name and there was recently went to the Supreme Court. Hold on, but here's, here's the loophole though, Lenka. Hmm. If you are a, if you are marrying a foreigner, yes, that's what I want. Then to yeah, if you're marrying a foreigner, which again Japanese don't come across that because both husband and wife will have a family register. Mm -hmm. But if one of if in my case, you know, the husband I am a foreigner, I don't have a family register, so my wife is the only one with the family register. She can choose to keep her family name. Yeah, if she wants, it's completely optional. Yeah. Right. In my case, my wife did change her name to Gorgis as well. So her family register will, has her name in Katakana, not Ramaji. It's her name in Katakana. And and I was actually fine with her keeping her her maiden name. Like it 
didn't bother me, but I wanted the kids to be Gorgis. And in order for that to happen, because they are on her family register, they would mm. keep the same name. And we didn't want to, and then the way Australia works, Australian passports will keep the same name as their Japanese ones. So in order for them to be Gorgis, the family register had to be Gorgis. Or we remove them from the family register and go to the family court and have them get their own family. Reg each child has their own family register at birth with the Gorgis surname, which differs from the mum's surname. Mm. It's complexity. But anyway, these are things that we come across. I don't want to say it's a loop. It's a loophole that Japanese just don't encounter. Yeah, you know, they, you know all, at the time, yeah. I think there were a lot of things that they were not thinking about at the time when they were making those laws and restrictions. And also, if you think about it, most of them are so old that this, the, the life ch changed completely. And like David says always, Mama, did I go? You know, like the times yeah. are very different. And nowadays, you know, when you do something, you realize you can do it because there is no law against it. Because when they were making those particular laws, these things were not happening. Yeah. So like, yeah, like foreigners, we don't have them in Japan. What's the matter? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or oh, no one's going to marry them anyway. <laughs> um, or oh, similar. Family, a divorce. Why would the dad want to see the kids? Yeah. Uh, the divorce Don't is separated. Even What's go to there. No, but <laughs> let's not even go. Yeah, please. That, let's that, yeah. Is a, that is a very sore subject in Japan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that, that, yeah. Oh, my God. Let's, let's, yeah. Sorry. I yeah. shouldn't have yeah. get down that route. Oh, and uh, um, sorry, Emil. Speaking of, um, speaking of parenthood, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of brief uh, about your new podcast? Oh, yes. Uh, work in progress. Oh, you have well, a new podcast. Uh, Yes, I have recorded two so far, but wow, it is difficult to edit. Um, I'm still getting so the Tokyo Dads podcast is oh. uh, starting. We're starting a Facebook group as well, the Tokyo Dads. Uh, yeah, Facebook group just search Tokyo Dads, um, and basically it's a podcast. I'm going to do one-on-one -on -one interviews with other dads in Tokyo, foreign dads in Tokyo. Um, but even I've got lots of Japanese friends, it's a Japanese guys that are dads, but also they're very Western. Uh -huh. So maybe they were a bit raised overseas or they went to school overseas. And they are also really interesting to talk to because they are kind of, they've gotten the experience that our kids are gonna go through. Yes. Right? Being raised sort of bilingual or living, you know, going to overseas school and coming back and having that mixed culture clash. And also because they're, they, they are Japanese and they have kids in Japanese school already. They also really under, are familiar with the Japanese education system from their personal experience and through their children that we're trying now for, as foreign parents, trying to navigate for our own kids. Mm. So they're actually a, a wealth of information about their personal experience going through the juku, the cram school process and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's really, I found when I get together with my friends, which are, you know, I'm 41 years old, almost 42. When I get together with um, other dads, you know, be it young dads who have kids, you know, newborns or, you know, young families, or they're maybe a bit my senior, we're always talking about kid stuff, raising bi bilingual children, um, dealing with, you know, marriage or relationships in, in Japan. Most times there's a foreign wife, uh, Japanese, sorry, Japanese wife with a foreign husband. My clients are also often this kind of family makeup. So that's the kind of discussion that we have. And we finish having a beer and a chat. And I'm like, this discussion we just had is so useful for so yeah. many people. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I bought all the podcasts set up. I bought a whole bunch of different whiskeys. Uh, so uh, <laughs> um, so that's, that's the plan. And I've done two recordings so far. And they're about an hour each. Um, I'm going through and doing the editing, but I want to have a nice intro. And, you know, um, I've got one guy who was in a band, one of my uh, friends. Uh, who's preparing an intro jingle mm -hmm. and whatnot. So there, there's a lot I want to, because people are spending, giving me a solid hour of their time to discuss, I want to make sure I present it correctly. I have the good quality audio, the good sort of production. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, and often I'm, I'm trying to do it face to face, even if I've got to sort of travel You're not around. contrasting Japan. that with the quality <clears throat> of this podcast, are you, Emil? <laughs> <laughs> the technical quality the technical well, we know that the content yeah. is of equal value but the technical yeah. quality i do agree it's, but i mean yeah. the it vibe is different without yeah. a lot of content so i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna worry about that 
yeah, yeah but um, also yeah, like one on one is different yeah yeah and also look this is you know here we're just sort of chatting and bantering about you know the industry but if you know i want to have a quality one hour personal engagement time with someone to really give me a lot of detail about their personal life and and how they view things especially with parenting and being a dad and the struggles and and, and their tactics and techniques i feel like you know why not do it right give them like yeah. it's probably one of the few times they're going to spend a solid hour and in the discussions i've had we tend to go more deeper than just what we generally do in a conversation because hey we're recording four podcasts we're trying to get information so i do try to delve deep and i'm trying to get better at asking questions and being a good host and yeah. asking good questions that's complex so i want to do it right and i want to sort of do justice to the person who's giving their time to do it you know and uh, it's um uh, we should note that the name is tokyo dads but it's um the content is definitely very viable to any foreign dad or like you said japanese international <clears throat> dad living in japan but um <clears throat> doesn't have to be the group the facebook group as well we can actually join i've noticed if we're not from tokyo right yeah d definitely so it's called tokyo dads just because i wanted to make it easy, you know on the tokyo dads podcast i want to kind of keep it easy to understand um but that's it the idea is foreign dads in japan um and Brilliant. you don't have to be a foreign um but yeah. and you don't have to be a dad if you're considering you know maybe you've you got a pregnant wife or you just got married and you're like should we have kids you want to talk to other dads um i find regardless of business you know when we um meet people through our life and we see oh maybe they're often we gauge stuff social status and what we can learn or mentorship based on age and sort of career situation when it comes to men anyway um, because generally we're we're the ones that that work. Um, also, like most men work, women they'll work, but because they have kids, they can be on and off employment. They right, just work twice. That situation, <laughs> it, it's it's different. But in Japan, yeah, there's, there's lots of in the, Japan. Emil. Oh yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. There's lots of mothers groups already. So yes, I think yes. for dads, you know, we have our own approach to things. But when it comes to career, we see people that are more senior than us in our career and, and experience we consider them as mentors right business mentors and often we look at people junior to us what we try to mentor them okay mm -hmm. uh in terms of business but when it comes to parenting it's like even if someone is my senior at a company i've got three young kids if yeah. they're just having a baby then they're asking me questions about having having a, yeah. a child and right? i also think emil uh fatherhood or the role of fathers in families in Japan is heavily underestimated or like even kind of dismissed oh, I, I had a I, hard time like the same way that Japanese women are the vast untapped resource of the economy here I think yeah. Japanese yeah. men oh, yeah. are the vast untapped resource of families yes. there is so much I had that they a... can give their kids I had a really hard time when David was in Yochien and for the graduation event, they only organized it for the moms and did not invite any father. Wow. And I was, yeah. I just, I went so angry. I told them I'm not That's going. That's hardcore even for Japan, actually. Yeah. Because okay. they said, oh, the fathers are not, the fathers are not really interested. I said, did you ask them? You know, like, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's like a, a sayonara and thank you between the mothers and the teachers. I told them it's bullshit. So I said, we are not participating as a family. Mm. Yeah. I'm not going. If my husband cannot go, I'm not going. And they were, they were genuinely shocked. I was the only mother that did not attend it. And then the rest of them had a nice lunch with the teachers while their husband went and get Obento uh, on their own because mm -hmm. it was the mothers and the children. And the, after the graduation, they sent the fathers away and they had a celebratory lunch with the teachers. Mm -hmm. I was so upset. I was like, this is the biggest bullshit I've heard in my life. Yeah. And I was the only one. I was the only one who had a problem. And they said, oh, but it's the it's the way it always been. And that was their like, yeah. you know, fathers, yeah. they just and I said I said, because the fathers they don't participate enough. I said, yeah, because they are the they are at work to pay for your bills. And for your fees and they just completely completely disregard that so i was i was just so upset yeah there's 
I think both systems are backwards in Japan, but also Very. a lot of, I think also a lot of mums and a lot of women are also like still in Japan completely on board with, yes, that's, that's the role. That's what I do. And that they're happy with it. It's not, they're, they're not the ones necessarily fighting. For back. them, it's more like they don't want to raise their voice to protest. It's the way it is. I literally got, particularly at this event, I got the answer like, well, that's how it's always been. So what can we, we cannot do anything to change it. I said, it's this is where you hard. are wrong. It's you... hard to say. I mean, I've met so many different people with different opinions, even among Japanese. Some yeah. of them are definitely happy with the situation. Some of them are not. And, yeah. it, and it runs the gamut. Male and, and they female. will, they are not, they are not willing to have the conversation about it. Yes. Like, should we maybe change it mm. or make it an optional? Do you want your husband to come or not? right even if it's just an option i believe maybe you know even if it's a third of the fathers that would come and the rest would not come but it's good for them to have the option to come mm. not to tell them well you are simply not invited you cannot come when you know when i went to so i just came back from australia and my son who's in australia right now um he's on the soccer team at his school so he's a fourth grader when we had the like uh the, those on the on the whatsapp chat it's okay we're having the, the soccer club is having a a dinner on a friday night at one of the family restaurants with the kids play area and stuff my wife said to me oh is it the dads or the mums like who's organizing it <laughs> because in japan when we have the soccer the soccer club it's like the coach will have a a, a dinner a, a night out drinking with the dads and then another night out drinking with the mums the mom's group and the dad's group like, it's separate and i go oh well I, I have no idea but i'm i'm going my wife's like ah you know that's fine like, i'll just leave it like because a lot of the dads were going to go like they're like yeah me plus one plus two whatever go there apart from my wife pretty much every mum was there and even one of the guys his parents were also like the grandparents were also yeah. there mom and dad and it was like hold on and there was like the the mom's table and the dad's table but yeah they basically all attended except for my wife who was like oh okay i didn't realize the mums are going to attend too because mm. she you know i guess we're accustomed to how it is here in in japan but things yeah. are changing like wasn't there just recently that woman that uh they were, they were posting lots of uh um uh memes about it but i think just a few weeks ago there was like a women's empowerment conference oh jesus japan, and, that was hilarious, that was hilarious. That, yeah. <laughs> maybe blanca you can explain that a little bit uh better well, the Ministry for Equality, right? Hearing they hosted everywhere. it, didn't they? Yeah. Everywhere else, the minister, I think in almost every other country, the Minister for Equality and whatever is a female, it's a woman. Mm. In Japan, of course, it's a man. So then they did a conference that was uh, uh, equality and female empowerment. Yeah. And there was 10, 12 female leaders. And then there was the Japanese prime minister, a man, the only one. No, not the prime another, minister. The, no, the, the, the minister, prime minister, the, the, yeah, the, yeah. minister the Japanese yeah, minister yeah. for equality or whatever he is. And on top of that, and this was hilarious, they made Japan to be the chair for the event. Mm. So a Japanese male minister was uh the chair for a uh, the women empowerment for women <laughs> empowerment that was yeah. just the most hilarious this this exactly showed how this country works it was a row of um well presented women with a very sore thumb male one with single male one, in the center. one in the middle Sorry. standing there smiling yeah. it's crazy yeah. it's like how do they not see it yeah they do. I don't think they don't see it. I don't think but, that's the issue. It's just they're catering to voters like any politician anywhere in the world. And if the vast majority of your voters are elderly men, then you cater no, to the elderly this men. This one, this position was previously filled by a female, Abesan. When Abesori was the <laughs> prime minister here, he, his, he had a woman on that position. Whereas, unfortunately, after that, uh, like now with Kishida, so uh, it, it, the position went to somebody that was basically pitched by the party 
supporting this and that and so he put the guy because they would not pitch a woman well the the ministry in japan i think they it's not about their skills it's who they support so it's who just, they support it's, yes it's yeah, not based on it's not even shown whether he is fitted for the position no no, no. it's like the can, uh, the, just, uh, Emil, can you give me permission to share just so that i can show that to somebody who's not uh, familiar with the photo and the text yeah uh, go ahead so this is the the photo of yeah you can share now this is the photo of the women um oh sorry the what's what's the proper name for it Ministry. Uh, you see yes. gender yeah. equality and, and women's empowerment <clears throat> yeah yes and uh, um and this was was that the minister of equality or was i think he was the... yeah it was something like that one second oh but... yeah the chair yeah he's the chair of the uh, committee he's the chair Japan. yeah you know yeah, yeah because a women need to be told by a japanese man how to be equal and have <clears> some <throat> have some you know uh, I do like how he decided to wear his most colorful suit. Yes. Oh, uh, we thank God for that, at least, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. at least he has a nice suit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just and, funny. It's funny. And that's how it works, you know. I mean, I could I could start writing a book on that in Japan because I think that that's. Oh, Jesus. No, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm trying to find time for, for my one. But, but anyway, yeah. speaking of time, I'll have to uh, bother yeah. off in a second. I'm sorry. No yep. problem. Me uh, too. I have to actually. Um, just before we go, can you just stop the recording? Just so I'll ask you a couple of questions, Emil. Cool. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for thank your you time. Thank you very much for joining up. us again. Um, search Tokyo Dads on Facebook. Hopefully, we have more stuff up and running by the time this is podcast is out. Oh, definitely. <laughs> okay. Bye. All right, that was a fun chat, wasn't it? I really enjoyed the last bit of it. Uh, personally, a bit cringe-worthy, but very entertaining. Hope you also found some value in the conversation. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer-term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section or wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!